this elderly man who had a great reputation within the community, it's, it's quite tragic. A beloved caretaker of a Vancouver park is killed with many wondering what was the motive. Plus, if there had been any people out there, you know, he could have easily killed someone. More on the drunk driver fined for causing this trail of destruction and why some neighbors say the penalty is not enough. And the fact of the matter is there's no more housing for staff on this island. The hospital foundation in a small B.C. community that's buying a motel currently used by the homeless for hospital staff. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Shock in a Westside Vancouver neighborhood tonight over the homicide of a 77-year-old man. Justice Daniel was the live-in caretaker at Tatlow Park and police are now seeking the public's help in solving this disturbing crime. Grace Key has the story. Kitsilano neighbors are stunned to learn the 77-year-old caretaker of Tatlow Park has been killed. Justice Daniel had been living in a private residence in the park for several years and more recently appeared to be in poor health. The last time I saw him was like probably a week ago and I chatted with him on the sidewalk um, just about the neighborhood and the dogs and how he's doing. And he seemed tired and like he was having some health issues. Um, he definitely seemed like he was getting older. Police and ambulance were called around 11 a.m. on Friday after a concerned friend hadn't heard from Daniel. The elderly man was found dead in his home and police determined it was a homicide. We don't know who did this. We don't know why they did this. Uh, he had no police record. We don't know if it was targeted, um, or if it was random, we were still ironing out those details. But of course, it is very troubling. And, um, you know, I never like to say there's no risk to the public because a member of the public died. Uh, there could have been uh, people in that area at the time. So it, it, it is very concerning. Daniel was a single father and local musician who also performed under the stage name Valentino Suede. Neighbors say he always had time to stop and chat. We saw, saw him up for years. Yeah, he was a wonderful man. He was creative. He was um, quite beautiful with people. And we're going to miss him a lot. We had, like, nice chats. And Every time he walked by, he would stop and say hi to the dogs and just, like, be super friendly. He really took care of the neighborhood and would always kind of like watch out for everybody. Vancouver police are looking for dash cam footage and witnesses who were in the area of Tatlow Park or the adjacent streets of Point Grey Road and West 3rd between Balaclava and McDonald Streets between 7 a.m. Thursday and 11 a.m. Friday. This is the city's 17th homicide of the year. Grace Key, Global News. There is shock tonight over the sentence handed to the motorist behind a damning dash cam video released by Burnaby RCMP. Earlier this year, the drunk driver rolled through Richmond and Vancouver on his way to Burnaby, where his carnage caused thousands of dollars in damage. Kristen Robinson has more. He hit the, um, the fire hydrant and just kept trying to drive. You know, if there'd been any people out there, you know, he could have easily killed someone. The one-man wrecking crew kept going. His wild drive from Richmond to Burnaby ended almost a kilometer away when he blew a stop sign and crashed into another. After striking parked vehicles and a fire hydrant, water gushing into homes. 
You know, it's like there was a, a small river going down each side of our house. It took out our, our walkway. The January trail of destruction caught on the driver's own dash cam, repeatedly crossing towards oncoming traffic, dodging pedestrians, narrowly missing other vehicles, driving into and through a ditch, running a red light. When the carnage was over, the Cadillac Escalade battered and missing a tire. It's probably among the worst dash cam that I've seen. Siu Wei Liang was charged with dangerous and impaired driving and failing to stop. In August, the 62-year-old pleaded guilty to impaired. He received a one-year driving ban, $1,000 fine, and six months probation. It just seems so low, you know, to have that kind of sentence. We definitely thought he'd get a, you know, a bit of jail time. Jail time is not the norm for a first conviction for an impaired driving offense. Criminal lawyer Kyla Lee says a one-year driving ban, $1,000 fine, and automatic criminal record is the mandatory minimum. In this case, the sentence is tough because it includes the addition of a six-month period of probation. Leung caused an estimated $28,000 in flooding damage and more than 6000 in losses to City of Burnaby property. Lee says ICBC will attempt to recoup those costs from the driver. The insurance-related consequences for this individual are going to be massive. Leung's address is listed as an upscale home in Burnaby's Buckingham Heights neighborhood, assessed at $2.25 million last year. A man who answered the door Sunday declined comment before a younger man appeared, claiming he knew nothing about Leung or the drunk driving conviction. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Highway 3 between Hope and Princeton was closed earlier today due to treacherous driving conditions. The westbound lanes reopened this afternoon, but there are reports traffic on the essential travel-only route is at a standstill with trucks throwing chains. Numerous commercial vehicles spun out in the heavy snow, prompting the earlier shutdown. The eastbound lanes remain closed due to multiple crashes and extremely poor road conditions. Truckers are advised to chain up between Princeton and Manning Park. Since flooding destroyed parts of the Coquihalla and Trans-Canada highways last month, secondary routes connecting the Lower Mainland and Interior are seeing commercial traffic volumes like never before. And some frustrated drivers have been caught on camera taking huge risks. Kimberly Davidson reports. I run my dash cam all the time. As a 25-year long-haul trucker, Jim Beckett has seen a lot of things on BC highways, but lately things have been getting more hectic. All of a sudden, uh, a driver come up on my left-hand side there, went to pass, and uh, as soon as I started to brake, the truck in front of me started to brake as well. Since the flooding that closed most of the highways through our province, incidents like this have become more commonplace. These roads weren't were not built for that type of traffic, that amount of traffic. This is happening daily. This is happening more often than it really should. Proving that point, on the same day that Jim Beckett's dash cam captured an unsafe pass on a double-solid line, another driver witnessed this, a semi driving right up the centre of the road, passing between two other trucks. It's definitely more of a risk driving that road than any other road right now. Commercial truck drivers are under huge amounts of stress right now. They're being relied on to solve supply chain issues during a holiday season where weather provides its own challenges. There's tight deadlines that have to be made for deliveries. I mean, a lot of the, the customers out there, you have to book your appointment 
for your delivery. And if you're late for that appointment, you're waiting for the next delivery, which could very well be the very next day. Enforcement by both the commercial vehicle safety and enforcement team, as well as the RCMP, has been ramped up on essential routes since November 30th. Still, multiple crashes have blocked access since then. Almost a closure daily on the Highway 3 and Highway 5A right now, and it's a a big problem. The B.C. government is insisting these routes are for essential travel only and warning people not to drive them just to get home for the holidays. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. Another special weather statement has been issued for Metro Vancouver with another five centimeters of snow on the way by the morning. Yvonne will have details just ahead, but take a look at this. This was the scene overnight with a blanket of snow covering neighborhoods in Coquitlam. Then in Maple Ridge, not as much snow on the main drag. Other areas in higher elevations saw an increase in accumulation. A winter storm warning remains in effect for areas from Hope to Princeton, with those areas expected to get another round of snow. And on Vancouver Island, police are urging motorists to slow down. Saanich police responded to two reports of vehicles disabled by icy roads this morning, including this one that flipped upside down and landed on its roof in slick conditions. Drivers are advised to take extra care in less traveled areas. Well, we've heard of ski resorts buying accommodation to attract and retain staff. And now a BC hospital is trying the same strategy. The tiny Lady Minto Hospital on Salt Spring Island has dozens of positions that it's struggling to fill. And to help with that, the hospital has bought a motel. As Paul Johnson reports, the next challenge is what to do with the people who are already living there. With its lovely ocean feel and mild climate, no one's surprised that Salt Spring Island is a desirable place to live, and housing prices reflect that. There are vacant positions that are hired for, and people actually turn them down once they've accepted them because there's no place on island for them to live. Roberta Martell is with the Lady Minto Hospital Foundation, who have found, like many businesses here already know, the island's shortage of affordable housing is a deal-breaker for many potential employees. But this is the hospital, and with 31 positions vacant right now, they decided they had to do something different. So they're in the process of buying the old Seabreeze Motel and plan to convert the rooms to rental apartments for staff. If we want this hospital to be sustainable, we need to have it fully staffed. On the face of it, it's a savvy workaround. But one solution poses another problem. That motel is currently being used to house some of the island's homeless population. So where would they go if the hospital deal goes through? We're a microcosm of the bigger society. We're the same as anybody else. Marginal people get left out. One option is to move some of those in the motel to a number of homes that a local business recently hauled there and is offering up for free. But where to locate them? Salt Springs' wide-open spaces are deceiving, as a thicket of zoning restrictions and limited water means that's no easy job. Gary Holman has his eyes on a property, but says the long-term fix to Salt Springs' conundrum is going to require help from elsewhere. Senior governments have to continue to spend significant amounts of money to build affordable housing. Paul Johnson. Global News. 
A former mayor of Surrey is weighing in on the current mayor's legal challenges. Doug McCallum is facing a public mischief charge over an alleged run-in he had with opponents in early September. The incident came as debate raged over the transition from the RCMP to a municipal police force. Former Mayor Diane Watts, speaking on the Global News Morning political panel, says it's important to remember the charges were laid by a special prosecutor and not by the police. So, I mean, in, in our in our court system, you're innocent until proven guilty. And it could take uh, a few months. It could take a few years. I would expect that if he is convicted, that he should fully pay for all of his uh, legal expenses. And uh, most certainly, he should be stepping aside from anything to do with uh, the police services review as well. Bylaws call for the city to indemnify staff, including the mayor and councillors, for legal fees they incur over the course of their duties. McCallum is set to make his first appearance on January 25th. RCMP and Nanaimo are investigating what they're calling a targeted shooting. Officers were initially called to reports of shots fired near View Street in South Nanaimo on Saturday night. A man was rushed to hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Witnesses reported seeing a vehicle speeding away from the crime scene. A short time later, a vehicle was found in flames in the 700 block of Nichols Street. Investigators believe the two incidents are connected and there is no further risk to the public. Well, if you're still waiting for one of your Christmas deliveries, Delta Police may have it. An investigation has busted an alleged internal theft ring involving multiple delivery contractors and shipments from an unnamed Delta distribution facility. Officers raided a home in Surrey where they found $45,000 worth of stolen goods. They included everything from electronics and mattresses to sporting goods and clothing. The items were being resold on Facebook Marketplace, and two men are now facing charges. After the break, the debate over Ladner's revitalization. Can you put a six-story building on a floodplain? I mean, what about the emergency preparedness? And how a taller development is being defended despite residents' opposition. Plus... And so since around Tuesday, there's been about 104 earthquakes in that region. The strangely significant number of earthquakes off the West Coast this week, and why. It is a familiar and contentious debate that's occurred in communities across Metro Vancouver in recent years. How to deal with development pressures. The latest is in historic Ladner Village, where a revitalization plan is not sitting well with some residents. Here's Julia Foy. It's closed off. And it's literally falling apart. Delta Councillor Dylan Kruger is excited about a new revitalization plan for the Ladner Village waterfront. To get more people working and living within Ladner Village to support the existing business community. Kruger says the village has been trying to attract new investment for years. But with four-story building limits and no underground parking on this floodplain, the only way to go is up. The vast majority of Ladner Village would stay in that three to four story range, but there were some parcels of land that were identified for up to six, as that was determined what would be necessary in order to achieve revitalization. The Chamber of Commerce supports the new plan. We need people here, we need transportation to our community, and one of the ways that our community moves forward with that is by increasing density in the right locations. But some locals are not impressed with the rise. The current proposal is for up to six stories in the Ladner Village. And we understand that Ladner Village needs revitalization, 
but six stories seems extreme and excessive. On December 14th, Delta Council will discuss changing the official community plan to allow up to six-story residential and commercial buildings in the historic village. We've got almost 600 signatures, and on Tuesday at the public hearing, we're going to present the petitions and just say, look, we've got a concern, and hopefully you can maybe tone her down to maybe four stories. One of the big questions floating around is whether Ladner could face future floodings due to climate change, and how will that affect development? Can you put a six-story building on a floodplain? I mean, what about the emergency preparedness? What if the, because we're all surrounded by dikes, what if they go? Kruger says many communities that line the Fraser River are looking for dike upgrading money. We've just applied for a $19 million grant from the provincial government uh, for flood mitigation strategy for Chisholm Street here. The revitalization plan could take up to 20 years to complete, but both sides want to ensure it serves the community well. Six stories, we would be in the shade for the rest of the year here if six stories was developed over there. We have to make a choice. It's not between six and four in those cases, right? It's between the, the plan that we've put in place which is the compromise, or continuing to have stagnation and decline. Julia Foy, Global News. Well, you may not have felt them, but there's been an unusually large number of earthquakes off the West Coast in the past week. There have been 104 of what's known as a swarm of magnitude 3 and higher quakes recorded since Tuesday, most of them off of Oregon. There were two that registered 5.8. They occurred in what's known as the Blanco Fracture Zone, that's what separates the Juan de Fuca plate, which is under B.C., Washington and Oregon, from the larger Pacific plate. And while this number of quakes in such a short period of time is uncommon, it's not something we should be overly worried about. No, not really. Uh, there, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because this is a strike slip fault zone, that's where the plates slide sideways uh, along each other. There's no upward or downward movement of the plates. And so these sorts of earthquakes, even though their magnitudes, you know, up to a six, they don't actually produce any tsunamis. He says a swarm like this is just another reminder that we should always be prepared, especially in light of all the natural disasters we've endured here in B.C. over the past several months. Coming up, the aftermath of one of the most violent storms in U.S. history. I've seen a lot of things in my life, from policing to ministry, but this is the worst. How tornado victims are assessing the damage and trying to heal. Plus... He just looks for individual opportunities to, to strike. The stark warning to Russia's president from foreign ministers of G7 countries, including Canada. Global Affairs Canada says it's not aware of any Canadians impacted by a string of deadly tornadoes that ripped through the American Southeast and Midwest. The death toll could top 100 in Kentucky alone. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest from one of the hardest hit areas, Mayfield, Kentucky. The scope of the damage is almost unimaginable and it stretches for blocks in every direction amid the hum of heavy equipment sorting through twisted steel and demolished buildings flattened during Kentucky's worst tornado outbreak on record. Here in Mayfield, Kentucky, we've seen dozens of businesses, homes, even schools like this one behind me reduced to rubble. First responders are actually going to the structures that are still standing and marking them with symbols to show that they've completed a search operation. The hopes are fleeting that survivors will still be pulled 
world alive, notably at a candle factory in town, the town's largest employer, where dozens died as the roof collapsed in. Dozens are still reported missing. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir says he's hoping for a miracle, but he fears the death toll is only going to rise, but also fears that the state might not have the resources like morgue capacity to deal with that. The National Guard uh, has been deployed. They're doing everything from going door to door, though. In many of these communities, we don't have doors anymore. They're going rubble to, to rubble, searching, hopefully for survivors, but otherwise to at least have certainty for families that we can advise them of their loss. This is a crisis that is stretching through five other states. At least 50 tornadoes were reported, including one that tore through an Amazon warehouse in Illinois, killing at least seven people. The federal government says it's working to address the immediate and long-term needs of affected residents and work with other communities to allow them to be better prepared for future storms. And back here in Mayfield, Kentucky, despite the chaos on the ground, there's been an outpouring of humanity. We've seen people walking the streets, offering neighbors and first responders food, water, or a shoulder as this community only begins to understand what it's lost and the cleanup, which will likely take months, gets underway along with a healing that could take a lifetime. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Mayfield, Kentucky. At least four people are dead following a building collapse in Italy. Officials say a gas explosion caused the building in a Sicilian town to collapse. Neighboring homes and buildings were damaged or destroyed. First responders and rescuers believe nearly a dozen people were hit by the explosion. Some are still missing. The cause of the gas explosion is believed to be accidental. Canada and other G7 nations had a stark warning for Russia today. De-escalate tensions on the Ukrainian border or prepare for economic repercussions. We've been clear that any incursion by Russia into Ukraine would have massive consequences for which there would be a severe cost. The warning comes amid reports Russia is bolstering its troop and missile deployment in that region. A reminder of what happened in 2014 when Putin annexed Crimea. Observers don't think there will be a repeat. However, it's unclear what Putin's plan is. He's not a chess master. He's a judo artist. And that means that he just looks for individual opportunities to, to strike, not really thinking five steps ahead. And what NATO and the G7 are doing is trying to signal that this one step is too costly on its own. Saturday, U.S. President Joe Biden also warned Russian President Vladimir Putin the economic consequences would be devastating. Back here in Canada, one of the great characters of Canadian politics has passed away. Mel Lastman was the country's first megacity mayor piloting Toronto when the city went from being a collection of municipalities similar to what we have here in the Lower Mainland to a merged metropolis of five million people. Lastman was always known for speaking his mind. Matthew Bingley reports. Nobody! The bad boy appliance entrepreneur turned millionaire turned longtime politician. But according to Mel Lastman himself, he wasn't one for grand titles. Everybody's calling me Mel. You know, I'm not Mr. Mayor, I'm not Mayor Mel, or I'm not Mayor Lastman. I'm Mel. That's all they call me, and that's terrific. 
It might as well have been Mayor Mel. Lastman won several straight mayoral elections, beginning in North York, followed by Toronto, where he became the first to take the helm of the amalgamated megacity in 1998. Welcome to the new city of Toronto! Managing it wasn't easy, and Lastman soon found himself squaring off against then-Premier Mike Harris over provincial downloading fees. Mr. Premier, you lied. Never one to shy away from sharing what was on his mind. You say stupid and dumb things. I mean, what do you what do you want from me? Except I'm sorry. It was his affinity for colorful and sometimes insensitive language that often saw him choking down humble pie. Scandals and political gaffes aside, Lastman will forever be known as the mayor who called in the army after successive blizzards crippled Toronto in 1999. We will not allow this city to be closed down. Even after enduring two decades worth of mockery from the rest of the country, he still had no regrets. I will always, and I have always been, safe rather than sorry. Like mayors before him, Lastman leaves a permanent mark on this city. His namesake square sits outside North York Civic Centre. Lastman walked away from politics in 2003, spending his retirement with his wife of 70 years, Marilyn. Retirement is, my wife was, was always looking after me. Now, I'm there to look after her. Marilyn Lastman passed away in 2020. Before exiting his role as mayor, Lastman offered this advice, which would turn out to be prophetic. If any mayor wants to make their way as the, as the mayor of Toronto, I think they have to say it exactly as it is. Melvin Douglas Lastman, dead at 88. Matthew Bingley, Global News. And her suffering and yours! That 1994 blockbuster, Interview with a Vampire, was based on Anne Rice's first novel written in 1976. Tonight, people around the world are remembering the author who died yesterday following complications from a stroke. The gothic writer, who was born in New Orleans, spun that first book into a series of vampire chronicles. It sold more than 150 million copies worldwide. Anne Rice was 80 years old. A pair of Dallas artists have created a unique pop-up art installation that's sure to stick out. The Kringles art installation is a number of murals made completely out of sticky notes. The artist's goal was to draw attention to simple things which are usually overlooked using sticky notes. Now you might be wondering how many sticky notes the mural is made up of. Well, the artists say the number is 5,500. And coming up next, a Canadian woman's mission to go green. Canada is one of the biggest generators of waste per capita in the world. And how single-use plastics can be eliminated from your home. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Just moseying around, we'll tell you where this elk was caught casually coming over a BC family's fence. It happens in a moment there. We'll get to more on <laughs> 
in a second. But right now, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast. There was some snowfall in the region last night, Yvonne, and it sounds like there's more on the way tonight. Yeah, we've got a special weather statement for Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley. We're tracking snow both for tonight and Monday night. I'll show you the timeline and the amounts coming up in just a moment. Right now, though, we're tracking rainfall for a few areas along the south coast. Out of the airport, sitting at 4 degrees with the southeasterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. We've got a wave. It's more of an uh, unsettled conditions that will continue all the way towards tomorrow morning. Higher elevations along the island, though, seeing a bit of snowfall. And then it starts to pick up. We've got another wave that is going to push in for tomorrow night, and that will be more organized, potentially even giving more snowfall. For the morning hours, so a heads up. Very similar to what we're seeing this morning. Temperatures will be close to 1 or 2 degrees. Higher elevations could see up to 2 centimeters of snowfall, and then it will change over to rain. But we are going to see that potential. Areas for higher elevations and stretching in towards the interior for traveling along the mountain passes, though, we'll be seeing heavy snow through the day tomorrow and then easing off late in the day. And then we've got another wave, more organized. It'll be Monday night leading into Tuesday morning where we could see the potential with up to five centimeters of snowfall. So the special weather statement that has been issued, Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley, two centimeters this evening and then five centimeters for Monday night. It's really higher elevations, the usual spots, Westwood Plateau, as well as uh, SFU with the snow level hovering closer to 300 meters. So we'll be watching that snow level, but there is the potential. So give yourself some extra time as we get in towards the morning hours. Here's a snapshot of the camera, their dash camera rather, that we're looking at from Whistler. This is from drivebc.ca. So we are going to be seeing snowfall heavy at times. Sea to sky continuing through Monday night, 10 and up to 20 centimeters. The Cocoa Hollow will be similar. The connector between 10 and 15. Kootenay Pass between 5 and 10. And for the Rogers Pass between 4 and 8. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. But a wave of snow will be heavy at times overnight and continuing through the day for tomorrow. Different weather picture along the northern half of the province. We'll see some sunshine in the mix, wet snow changing over to rain for much of the central interior. Southern interior could see anywhere between 4 and up to 8 centimeters. It's higher elevations, mountain passes that will continue to see heavy snowfall. Along the south coast, we'll have that wet snowfall accumulating for a few areas, possibly up to 2 centimeters, and then changing over as temperatures bump up to 3. But the snow level tomorrow will be hovering 300 meters, and then we're seeing a more organized system for Monday night leading into Tuesday morning where we could see up to 5 centimeters. Nithu. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, we're not sure if it was one of Santa's reindeer on a scouting mission, but a spectacular animal has been caught on security camera on Vancouver Island. Kevin Warren lives in Lake Cowichan. His video shows a large elk moseying around the property early one morning before effortlessly hopping over the fence, which is apparently five feet high. Wait for it. Oh, there it was. Mm. Yeah. His nose wasn't so bright, so we <laughs> Exactly. Uh, what's uh, bright in sports tonight? Hey, the, the Canucks future looks kind of ah. bright. We'll see how it goes tonight. Uh, they're looking for their fourth straight win under Bruce Boudreau. Carolina Hurricanes in town. That's a very good team, so it'll be a good test for the Canucks. We'll preview that. And, of course, it's Great Cup Sunday going down to the wire. We'll have highlights of that one from Hamilton. Seahawks are playing and a very thrilling finish to the Formula One season as well. So another loaded Sunday in sports. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Barry. Also ahead, eliminating household single-use plastics. A greener earth starts with a greener home. And how this woman has turned it into a business. Stay with us.
An Ontario woman has found a passion for eliminating single-use plastics from her home to help Canada's plastic waste problem. And she's decided to turn her passion into a business. Charmaine Somani brings us her story. As Canadians, we contribute a lot to waste and landfills. Karen Worsick, Plastics Program Manager at Environmental Defence, says Canada tops most other countries. Canada is one of the biggest generators of waste per capita in the world, um, including plastic waste. The government says Canadians throw away 3 million tonnes of plastic every year, and only 9% of it actually gets recycled. Plastic is you know, far too cheap for producers, retailers to use. And, you know, they can forget about it once it leaves their store or their warehouse. It's consumers and municipalities then that have to deal with the problems. Worsic says plastic is problematic from start to finish. The extraction of oil and gas to produce the plastic, which creates a lot of greenhouse gases, toxic chemicals from the production of plastic to then plastic use. And we're transporting plastic around. And then finally, we throw it away. Taken aback by these facts, Ontario woman Jaweria Mullick realized she was also adding to Canada's plastic wastage. I'm doing a lot of kitchen work and using a lot of plastics within my household. So uh, I noticed there was a lot of wastage. To do her part, she started by switching to reusable silicone bags. Reusable bags I started off with were not as um, sturdy. They, their ziplock, pinch lock was very difficult to close. Um, and they, they were great in the fridge only or freezer at most. So she decided to design reusable silicone bags, which met all of her needs. She realized she had found her passion and decided to create a business out of it. These are food grade safe. They are all dishwasher, microwave safe, one day in the fridge, the other day out on your trip. Toxins free as well, unlike plastic. Plastic, when heated, uh, at a certain point, it does begin to leach. On the other hand, reusable silicone bags are pricier than plastic bags. It's an investment for your house. After the success of her reusable silicone bags on yourhomeattire.com, she hopes to expand her line with more reusable home products. A greener earth starts with a greener home. Charmaine Samani, Global News. All right, Barry's back with sports right after this break. Also ahead... It's not just a product, it's about the people who make it. How Indigenous artists and creators are being showcased in a new project called Glowbox. Join us in supporting British Columbians who need our help. Global BC, 980 CKNW, AM 730 and Global Okanagan are partnering for BC Together in support of BC flood relief. Visit globalnews.ca slash Together to donate to an organization of your choice that are helping communities in need. Don't miss Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain Christmas Carol playing this holiday season. Set during 1930s Eastern Tennessee, enjoy this reimagined musical version of a Dickens classic. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a full look at sports, and the Canucks are hitting the ice at home tonight during quite the streak. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's their longest win streak of the season so far. They'll try to extend it to four. Thanks, Newthview. The uh, Canucks are hosting one of the NHL's best teams in Carolina tonight at 7 o'clock. The Canes have won four in a row, including an impressive win in Edmonton last night, 3-1. to one. But, of course, the Canucks have won three in a row this week and five of their last six. A lot of that is due to Thatcher Demko's amazing play, and Demko will be in goal again tonight. We'll have highlights at 11. Meanwhile, the baby Canucks on the road in San Jose fall 5-2 to the Barracuda. Evander Kane in his second game with the Sharks minor league affiliate did get an assist and a penalty. 
F1 season coming to a dramatic conclusion today in Abu Dhabi. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen battling for the championship, tied going into this last race. Verstappen on the pole, but Hamilton gets the jump and takes the lead off the start. Now still on that first lap, Verstappen looking to pass Hamilton, who goes off the road to hold the lead. Now the stewards did allow Hamilton to stay in the lead. Always action with these two. It's amazing. Hamilton does get a big lead with 10 laps to go, up to 11 seconds, but then this happens. Nicholas Latifi, the Canadian, will crash out on lap 53, causing the safety car to come on. So, of course, the drivers cinch up a little bit, and that 11-second lead was pretty much gone. Verstappen then pits for softer tires, and that was the right decision. A lot of these races won in the pits. Final lap, Verstappen has to make his move, and he doesn't check this out. In his Red Bull, he will pass, and the Dutchman has the lead as the crowd roars. Hamilton not giving up. He will go back at Verstappen, and it looks like he's got him, but Verstappen just holds him off. Sparks flying literally and figuratively in this one. Verstappen wins the race and the championship, his first ever driver's title. Hamilton has won seven of them. You could not get a more exciting season of Formula One. All right, the 108th Great Cup from Hamilton. Hometown Ticats taking on the defending champ Blue Bombers. Defenses dominated the first half. No touchdowns until the dying seconds. Jeremiah Mazzoli didn't start for the Ticats. Came on in relief of the injured starter, and he zips one over the middle to Stephen Dunbar for the touchdown. Finally, something to cheer about for those Ticat uh, fans. Actually, a pretty mild day in Hamilton, about plus four at kickoff, 10-7. Hamilton at the break, third quarter, more from the Ticats after an interception. Mazzoli to Brandon Banks, 17-10. That hometown crowd making a difference against that big bad bomber defense. Fourth quarter, though, Winnipeg down nine and cue the comeback. With the wind, it's Zach Kalaros to Nick Dembski, and he does the rest after the catch. A 29-yard touchdown, first TD of the game for Winnipeg. They're within a point at 22 21. Of course, the kicking game huge in the CFL. And with the wind at his back, the former Lion, Sergio Castillo, from 45 yards out with under two minutes. It's good. They've added a single. It's 25-22 bombers very late in the fourth quarter. NFL now. Seahawks on the road at 2-10 Houston. Seattle finally got the rush game going, and it was Rashad Penny. Final play of the first. Penny with a burst. A 32-yard touchdown run. His first touchdown since 2019. 10-7 Seahawks after a quarter. Texans, one of the worst teams in the league, 30th out of 32. But the Hawks needed some big plays to beat them today. Russell Wilson loves the deep ball, and he airs it out to Tyler Lockett. And it's a perfect delivery. How many times have these two done this? A 55-yard touchdown, 16-13 Seahawks at the half. Fourth quarter, still a tight ball game. Third and goal. Wilson to Gerald Everett. Now he is hit right at the goal line, but stretches out and just breaks the plane. They reviewed this, but they ruled that Everett just did get the ball across before he was down. A close play, but Seattle gets the TD. They're up 27-13. And then they'll seal it again. Rashad Penny, he's battled injuries ever since he, the Seahawks took him in the first round in 2018. But he showed his quality today. A 47-yard touchdown gallop. He had 137 yards and two touchdowns. They'll need that again next week at the Rams as the Seahawks. Hawks keep their playoff hopes alive 
as they beat the Texans today, 33-13. to The Hawks' record now 5-8. and eight. Seattle, they need some help from the teams in front of them to lose, like the 49ers who are at Cincinnati. Late first half, Jimmy Garoppolo, though, to George Kittle, who is a beast today, just gets in before his knee goes down. It's a touchdown, and it's 17-6 to San Francisco at the half. But the Bengals were rally late in the fourth. Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase, second touchdown for Chase in the fourth quarter, tied it at 20. The 49ers missed a last-second field goal for the win, so we needed overtime. Bengals got a field goal in their first possession, but the Niners get a chance to answer, and they do. Garoppolo to Brandon Ayuk, who will tiptoe down the sideline, stretches for the end zone, initially called short of the goal line, but upon further review, he stayed in bounds. It's a touchdown, huge win for the Niners, 26-23 over the Bengals. San Fran now 7-6. and six. Dallas and Washington. Seahawks hoping to get a favor from the Cowboys, and Dallas delivers. Dak Prescott to Amari Cooper in the first for the touchdown. That made it 10 to nothing. And then later in the first, it's the Dallas D that will come up big as they will hit Washington quarterback Taylor Heineke. He fumbles, and Dorrance Armstrong with the scoop and score. 37-yard return for the touchdown. Cowboys go on to win it 27-20. They're 9-4, and and Washington drops to 6-7, and just a game ahead of the Seahawks. Bills and Buccaneers. Tampa's been unstoppable at home. 5-0, 30-plus points each game. More of the same today. Tom Brady to Mike Evans, who makes a fantastic catch for the touchdown, and Tampa has a 17-3 lead. And then later, another record breaker for Brady under pressure he unloads it in a hurry and somehow finds Evans that's completion number 7,143 for Brady passing Drew Brees for first all time Brady would sneak it in for the touchdown so 24-3 at the half but Josh Allen and the Bills with a big time rally Allen hits Gabriel Davis for the TD Bills scored 17 in the fourth and sent the game to overtime tied at 27 but it's the Bucks who strike Brady to Brashad Perriman it's his only catch of the game but it's a 58 yard game winning TD Brady's 700th career touchdown pass counting the playoffs Bucks win 33-27 they're 10 and 3 Bills are 7 and 6 they've lost 3 of 4 Ravens and Browns from Cleveland late in the half the Browns defense is going to force the fumble on backup Tyler Huntley who came in for Lamar Jackson who left with an ankle injury Miles Garrett returns at 15 yards it was 24-3 Cleveland but the rookie Huntley rallies the Ravens Hits Mark Andrews for the touchdown with under two minutes to go. That made it 24-22. to Ravens recovered the onside kick, but the Magic runs out on fourth down. The completion short of the first down, and the Browns hang on to win at 24-22. They're 7-6, and six, and the Ravens are 8-5. And, and one more from the NFL. Chiefs and Raiders from Kansas City. After a stuttering start to the season, the Chiefs are rolling now. Patrick Mahomes to Daryl Williams. He walks in untouched from 23 yards out, 14 to nothing. Second quarter, Clyde Edwards, uh, Edwards-Alaire runs it in, 35-0 in the first half as the Chiefs crush the Raiders, 48-9, Kansas City 
now nine and four. Women's ski, uh, ski cross from Val Thorens, France. Mariel Thompson and Britt Phelan of the Canadians in the final. North Vance Thompson back after another knee injury suffered in March. And she finishes third to Sweden's Sandra Naseland, who also won Saturday. Phelan is from Quebec. She was fourth. She won a silver in Saturday's race. So our Canadian women's ski crossers definitely poised for the podium come Olympic time. World Cup moguls from Sweden. Canada's Michael Kingsbury versus Akuma Horishima in the dual mogul final. Kingsbury finished eighth in the moguls event on Saturday, which is a poor result for him. But Kingsbury back on form today. He's the 67th World Cup gold, 95th podium overall. There's no doubt he is the greatest of all time in moguls. And the Olympics, 54 days away. They're coming fast. That's it for sports. Right around the corner. All right. Thanks very much for that, Barry. And coming up, we'll tell you about an Okanagan initiative promoting local shopping and Indigenous art and creations. Stay with us. Supporting local just became that much easier with an Okanagan initiative. It's called Glowbox, and it offers a sampling from local Indigenous businesses and creators. Sydney Morton has more. It's a box filled with local products from Indigenous businesses and artisans, and it's out just in time for the holidays, making supporting local and finding the perfect gift for someone on your list easier. We're just excited to be this voice, create this platform, and tell the stories, it's so important. It's not just a product, it's about the people who make it, why they make it, it's about their passions. And when we connect all those things together in the story card that you'll see when you open your Indigenous Glow Box, we hope that you'll be able to find amazing new local businesses that you will want to continue to support. There are nine business owners and creators featured, including Janine Lott, whose artwork is featured on the box. There's so many creative people throughout our valley, you know, and for a lot of us artists, we're just in our quiet little studios, you know, doing what we do. And so to have venues like such as this with Glowhaven and this Glowbox to showcase our work and put it out there and to be a part of a project like this, it's great. Lot also grows her own canvases. She grows gourds and then turns them into pieces of art. I've been working with hard shell gourds for about 30 years now. And I just would burn designs and that represent who I am as an Okanagan First Nations woman. And our connection to the land and our environments is all part of the art that I use are from our chapteaks and our stories and it starts off with drawing the design and then wood burning and then I move on to paint and ink dye to further embellish the gourds. The Indigenous Glow Box stands out from other gift boxes because what you are giving your loved one is a small piece of local history and culture. For more information about the box, visit our website globalnews.ca slash Okanagan. Sydney Morton, Global News, Kelowna.
Each piece is beautiful. Great idea. Uh, beautiful as well outside if you love the sight of snow, Yvonne. <laughs> yeah, we may see it some wet snow, possibly up to two centimeters, especially for higher elevations. And then another round potentially for a Monday night as well. So be prepared. Give yourself some extra time. Great advice. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11.